This podcast is not here for those people that are trying to stay out of last place. Because those consequences don't exist for the people that are listening to this podcast. These are the people that always end up in the playoffs but can't seem to get over that hump. Or the ones who just want to dominate year after year just to show everybody else they're the champions. Guys, this is a fantasy football intervention. And we're about to intervene with your fantasy football life. Are we live? Are we live? Are we live? Oh my God. This is my first time, my first time ever actually going live on my Facebook profile. Oh my God. Am I excited? Am I excited or what? Let me go ahead and share a couple things real quick to my Twitter groups, right? Because I want to make sure everybody knows that we are live and we are ready to go. And it's kind of weird because it's three o'clock on a what? Wednesday afternoon? God, what am I doing this early? Well, I actually was going to record an episode, but I decided to say, hey, screw it. Let's just go live and do it all at one time. So here I am live on Twitter and Facebook. Oh, yeah. And today I'm actually going to be talking a little bit about the articles and some of my offseason beliefs and see if I can, you know, still work with them. Still see if I can still, I guess, back the articles that I've written in the offseason, because as you guys know, things do change. So almost done sharing with this group and I will get started. Yeah. If you guys want to find any of my content, you guys can go on to Linktree. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash fantasy intervention to find any of my articles, any of my podcasts, anything like that. But that's actually what I'm going to be going off. It's Linktr dot E-E slash fantasy intervention. So I'm going to go ahead and pull that up real quick for you guys. And this is what it's going to look like. So as we go through it, you're going to see my Patreon page up at the top. You're going to see my Twitter page, my Facebook page. And then where I'm going to go to is actually the articles for Dynasty Happy Hour and Dynasty Nerds, since that's who I write with. We also have the SFBX team, which is brutal because I just uh, just lost one of my key components with Leonard Fournette. Yeah. Can somebody just sign him already? Please. Can somebody just sign Leonard Fournette? So my SFPX team won't suffer. Anyways, you also have my Apple iTunes, my Google Play, my Stitcher, and my SoundCloud account. So if you guys want to go check out any of those or follow along, go to, what was it? Uh, Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash Fantasy Intervention and click on Articles for Dynasty Happy Hour and Dynasty Nerds. The first link is going to be where to find my stuff. That's going to throw you back onto the other page. But... We're going to go all the way down to the bottom, some of my earliest episodes, or earliest articles, excuse me, and we're going to check out the reemergence of Matt Stafford, Stafford's reemergence. That's going to be with, of course, Dynasty Happy Hour. So my big belief is that Matt Stafford is actually going to show out this year. I think that uh, he's set up in an absolute monster situation, you know, with Daryl Bevel there, with, with Kenny Galladay being one of his receivers. You know, you got DeAndre Swift coming in. And I do think, I do think this is a whole entire new regime for the Lions, I guess, organization. You know, they've taken only four times in, in Lions history, have they taken uh, more than two offensive linemen in the first four rounds? It's only happened four times. 
Two of those four times have come in the last four years. So we're talking about a completely revamped offensive line, which, I mean, they're investing piece after piece after piece in. So this offensive line can do a better job of, uh, if this offensive line, I should say, can do a better job of keeping Matt Stafford, you know, off his back and more on his feet. I think that he has an amazing, amazing shot to actually succeed in this offense. Now, with that being said, he still has some issues there, right? But the issues when it comes to fantasy relevance are actually a good thing because that defense is absolutely brutal, right? He has so, so much, I guess, uh, such a difficult schedule, I should say. He has such a difficult schedule when it comes to actual NFL that it's going to help him out as a fantasy quarterback. The biggest thing that I'm looking at, though, is the fact that he's never been able to really get over eight when it comes to average air yard per attempt. And this past year, right, with Daryl Bevel, dude, he absolutely exploded. I mean, he had 7.8 average air yard per attempt, right, throughout his career. And this past year, he absolutely destroyed that. So I'm expecting Matt Stafford with an 8.6 average yard per attempt from last year to completely, completely destroy the, the competition. I love Matt Stafford as a late sleeper fantasy, and he's absolutely an option for two quarterback leagues. So, yes, I still stand by my by my opinion. And honestly, I think that Kenny Galladay is going to be an absolute steal in fantasy drafts this upcoming year as well. Just a side note. So we're going to go on to the next one, right? And that's the wide receiver expectation in Washington. Obviously with Washington having an absolutely, I guess, brutal off season when it comes to Trent Williams getting traded, right? And when it comes to uh, Darius Geist and that whole mess of a situation, I mean, it's tough to find positivity in this, but when I broke this down for dynasty nerds, I looked at a rookie that they picked up in, in what was it? The fourth round, I believe. So this rookie, Antonio Gandy Golden is an absolute monster in college. Now he did go to Liberty, which was a small school, like very, very tiny school. So his competition wasn't the best competition, but watching his film and breaking down his film, man, this guy was making circus catch after circus catch after circus catch. Now I don't think that he's refined enough to, I guess, really be a, a standout player. Like, I'm not saying that, that he should be one of your starting wide receivers. But when it comes to flyers, right, this guy could absolutely, absolutely be a guy that slides in there. Now, where are the areas that I've kind of missed on, potentially, is where, if he's going to be starting or not. So I believe that, that or I believed that when Kelvin Harmon went out with, uh, with, what was it, a torn ACL, I believe strongly, very, very strongly, that Antonio Gandy-Golden was going to step in and play that Preston Williams-type role. Unfortunately, I'm not exactly sure if that's going to happen, right? It's, it's going to be a really, really weird situation, by the way. Big shout-out to Troy King. He is talking about Matt Stafford, but it's going to be a very, very interesting situation with how they use Steven Sims in there, right? And how they use Dontrell Inman and who's going to be the starter. I'm not sure that Antonio Gandy Golden has done enough if he's done enough to actually be a starter on that team. However, I'm still willing to take a shot on him in very, very deep leagues, especially 16 team leagues that, that you're going to need that, that upside for the wide receiver position. So you want to go check that out, that was Wide Receiver Expectation Washington under Dynasty Nerds. Now, this is one of my favorite articles. It was, who is the real star in Dallas? And this article is getting, like, just terrible, terrible feedback when it comes to, I guess, uh, how controversial it is. 
Because I don't believe that Amari Cooper is going to do well this year. I really don't. I think that Amari Cooper is going to be an absolute bust. I mean, we saw it with him, with him when he struggled last year up against top cornerbacks. I mean, he was absolutely brutal, especially in zone coverages. If he was facing zone coverage, yeah, he's going to put up a goose egg. So the, the cornerbacks that Amari Cooper has to face this year are Rams, Jalen Ramsey, Seahawks, Shaquille Griffin, or Quentin Dunbar, one of the two, which, by the way, Quentin Dunbar actually shut him down with the Redskins last year. Or, well, I guess he was with the Redskins last year. So the Browns, Denzel Ward, right? Cardinals, Patrick Peterson. The Steelers, Joe Hayden, right? Who just had, a lot of people are sleeping on Joe Hayden. He actually just had one of the best seasons of his career this past year. Then you have the Ravens, Marcus Peters, right? The Bengals, who just signed both Xavier Rhodes, or I'm sorry, not Xavier Rhodes, it was Mackenzie Alexander, that was a mistake in the article, Mackenzie Alexander and Trey Waynes, who did a good job stopping uh, Amari Cooper this past year, right? And then you have the 49ers, Richard Sherman, right? The Eagles, Darius Slay. <sighs> got him twice, man, got him twice. The Falcons, they got that new rookie out there who supposedly is doing really, really well up against Calvin Ridley and Julio Jones with A.J. Terrell. I mean, dude, that's that's like one of the hardest gauntlets of cornerbacks that you're ever going to have to face. Uh, for me, Amari Cooper's cleat slide. And when it comes to the rankings, I actually have Gallup up top. Then I have uh, CeeDee Lamb. And then and then I have Amari Cooper when it comes to targets and opportunity in this offense. I mean, Mike McCarthy loves, loves, loves that slot receiver. And CeeDee Lamb, who should be put in the slot, with Mike McCarthy, who's excellent using it, he's going to absolutely go off. I mean, Jerry Jones could absolutely, absolutely force Mike McCarthy to use, you know, C.D. Lamb in his first year because of the fact that he just spent a first-round pick on this guy after signing Amari Cooper to a $100 million contract, although that's kind of a fake contract. It's really like a two-year $40 million contract. But anyways, I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you guys, it's a huge Huge opportunity for CeeDee Lamb to seize a role in this offense to where he could see, I don't know, north of 100 targets pretty easily. He really could. I mean, we're talking about Jason Witten, who left, right? He left the Cowboys. He's vacating 83 targets. Randall Cobb went to the Texans. He's vacating 83 targets. That's 166 targets up for grab. I'm telling you guys, CeeDee Lamb is being slept on even in redraft leagues. So, that was, once again, the star in Dallas for Dynasty Happy Hour. On to my next one. Getting the band back together. Which one was this? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. This was the Titans. Oh, man. I love, I absolutely love Derrick Henry in half-point PPR and non-PPR leagues. I mean, he, for me, is an absolute, absolute buy. He's one of the safest running backs you could take in this draft. No, I don't think that Darrington Evans is going to affect his workload. Deion Lewis didn't, so rookie Darrington Evans is not going to either. I think that you can assume that the Titans are going to have similar offensive output. However, the, the Titans were unordinarily, inordinarily, unordinary, inordinarily efficient. I believe I said that right. They were inordinarily efficient this past year, and... They were what? I think it was 30th in plays run, but top eight. I think they were eighth in offensive yards to be had. It's in this article somewhere, guys. It's getting the band back together for Dynasty Nerds. You guys can search that and check it out. Either way, they're not going to be as efficient this year. Now, that's actually a good thing. Like people are freaking, freaking out, right? About AJ Brown. If you're in a PPR league, AJ Brown is an absolute buy. 
right? Because what would you rather have? Like A.J. Brown with, you know, one catch for 60 yards and a touchdown or six catches for 40 yards and a touchdown? His PPR value is going to significantly rise or has significantly rise in my, in my draft rankings. And I love me, love me, love me some A.J. Brown. Love it. Now, when it comes to Jonu Smith, this guy is my biggest sleeper when it comes to the tight ends. And I think that Jonu Smith could actually finish up as a top five. That's right. Top five, baby. Top five fantasy tight end this year. I'm telling you guys, he's going to get more looks. I mean, how can you not? He took what a 60 yard or an 80 yard run. That, that's a run to the house. He can be used in any facet of this game and his athletic just abilities are, are freakish. I love me, love me, love me some Johnny Smith. He's my biggest sleeper on the year. Now, when it comes to Corey Davis, Corey Davis, if you want a flyer, he could, he could be an option. However, I'm not reaching for him. I'm not trying to go after him. I've been getting a lot of Corey Davis questions. I think it could work out, but like I said, I'm not trying to trace, chase the dragon, you know, not even close to it. So that was getting the band back together guys. Oh yeah. Now too early is the perfect time. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron Yankel. Is that how you say your name? Thank you anyways, for the title name. Uh, you know, we're sitting there talking about John or uh, Irv Smith Jr. Speaking of, Smith tight ends. And I was talking about how Noah Fant was just a little bit overrated and how I didn't want to buy him because there's just too many targets and it's a little bit too early. Yada, yada. And he's like, man, if you're going to get in on him, now's the perfect time because if he does blow up, you're never going to be able to get him. So too early is the perfect time. Anyways, I feel like that's the case for Irv Smith Jr. All right. We have got Gary Kubiak taking over the play calling for the offense since uh, Stefanski, Kevin Stefanski moved on to the Browns. So with that being said, you now have, of course, uh, Gary Kubiak coming in to call plays. And one of the biggest things with Kubiak was his utilization of the play action fake. He's still going to run the ball a ton, but when it comes to the red zone and the play action fake, oh my God, Gary Kubiak gets rock hard, gets rock hard for some play action fakes. I'm telling you guys, I'm telling you guys. He, uh, his average in his 11 year career, which this article covers is what? 72.8, I believe red zone attempts when it comes to passing 72.8 red zone attempts last year under Stefanski Baker Mayfield only attempted 51 red zone passes. So with that being said, the opportunity with Stefan Diggs leaving town, right? For Irv Smith Jr. to step up in his second year and sees a role in the red zone is, is phenomenal. I love me some Irv Smith Jr. And he's not quite as high as Johnny Smith for me, but he's still a tremendous, tremendous breakout candidate and a guy who could sneak into the top 10. Give me some Irv Smith Jr. all freaking day. I love it. Love me some Irv Smith Jr. Now, whew, we're flying through these articles, guys. We are flying through them. Let me see. We have, oh, you're stabilized your future. So I did a four series article thing, or actually it was, I think it was five. We covered Jordan Love. We covered Josh Herbert. We covered Joe Burrow. And then we covered, of course, of course, Tua Tagovailoa. So I went through and I talked about how I think in dynasty leagues, you should actually go out and get your quarterback early. Like I'm okay taking Patrick Mahomes in dynasty leagues in the second round. I'm okay to an extent with Lamar Jackson being taken in the second round. I mean, we are seeing, we are seeing a tremendous, tremendous uptick 
in production from younger quarterbacks ever since the CBA in 2011. Once when the lockout happened, right, because the CBA was trying to figure out what they wanted to do, the uh, the the new negotiations just completely curved how much money a rookie quarterback can make. And it sucks for the rookie quarterbacks, but at the same time, when it comes to actual game itself, it really it really actually helped out these rookie quarterbacks. I mean, they went from what was uh, let me see what was the last year. I don't know if I have it in here. But Sam, uh, or not Sam Darnold, I'm, I'm sorry, uh, Sam Bradford was the last rookie quarterback to get, a con- get, to get a contract. It was like $78 million compared to what they were making the following year, which was like $24 million. So that opened up the salary cap for rookie quarterbacks to actually get in there so that they could surround all these other guys or all these quarterbacks with other guys that, at these skill positions and on the offensive line. You're talking about setting up these quarterbacks talking about set up these quarterbacks with a tremendous amount of talent around them. So absolutely, absolutely, were there more quarterbacks that actually went to the playoffs. In fact, right here going to my article, referencing it, there were nine out of 36 playoff teams with their starting quarterback on a rookie contract from 2008 to 2010. In, from 2017 to 2019, we saw 14, 14 quarterbacks on rookie contracts, right? That's almost 39% of the quarterbacks under the age of 27. Yeah, we're talking about these younger guys having more talent and more fantasy relevance at a younger age. So with that being said, you're getting more utilization out of them. Then when you look at the back end, you look at guys like Tom Brady, like Aaron Rodgers, right? Like Drew Brees. You're still having more fantasy relevance at the tail end of their careers. So instead of getting a guy that's going to be relevant at a running back position for six years, right? Or getting a guy that's going to be relevant at a wide receiver position for, for 10 years. You're getting a, a rookie quarterback that could be relevant at his position, like top 12, if you find the right guy, for 15 years, maybe even 20 years. I love, I love having to not worry about that quarterback position for that amount of time. So I'm okay with drafting rookie quarterbacks in dynasty leagues if you think he's your guy to go after. So let's go ahead and jump into our first guy, Joe Burrow. Stabilize your future. Stabilize your future with Joe Burrow, baby. Over there on Dynasty Happy Hour. You guys can check out that article over there. Or you can once again go to my link tree. It's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash fantasy intervention. Once again, that's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash fantasy intervention. This is actually going to go into depth. It's going to go into depth with these articles and these statistics. So 12 of the past 17 years with the Bengals, right? They finished second or third in their division. It's brutal. 12 of the past 17 years. 11 of them coming within two losses or wins of eight and eight. You talk about the definition of mediocrity. It is the Cincinnati Bengals. Now, Hopefully things have changed, right? They move on from they moved on from Marvin Lewis. They went with a new offensive-minded head coach who's actually been known as a quarterback guru, right? With with Zach Taylor. I mean, he helped even Ryan Tannenhill, you know, maintain some sort of fantasy relevance in the beginning of his career. So when we look at Zach Taylor, it was definitely a rough start. 
you know, last year. But obviously that Bengals team was an absolute mess, absolute mess. The defense was in shambles pretty much. That offense just didn't have the talent. Their offensive line was destroyed. Now, they still haven't really fixed offensive line, but hopefully Jonah Williams coming back is, you know, is healthy this year. He was not healthy last year. He was what I believe their first round pick last year. So hopefully he's there to help protect Joe Burrow. Now, last year, Joe Burrow, as you guys you know, already probably know, had a prolific, had a prolific college career, one of the best college careers of any quarterback in or NFL NCAA history. He's going on to a team, right, that has or is adding T. Higgins to the wide receiver core that already has A.J. Green, right? They already have Tyler Boyd, who I'm not a fan of personally, but he's still a good overall receiver. They've got a deep threat with John Ross. You got Joe Mixon, who they just signed to a four-year contract. Joe Burrow, 6'4", 221 pounds with great, great footwork. I mean, it was almost reminiscent of Tom Brady, to be honest with you. And I know that's high praise, but his footwork in college was that good. I'm telling you guys, Joe Burrow has a chance to get the Bengals above any any spot they've seen, right? Any record that they've seen over the past 17 years. I love, love, love me some Joe Burrow. And when it comes to fantasy relevance, his schedule, although he does have to face the Steelers and does have to face the Ravens, and even I think the Browns are going to be better this year, so the, so the Browns as well, their schedule is actually pretty good. I know for a fact that they have the NFC East, but I'm not sure they're out of the other division. I want to say it's the NFC South, maybe. If anybody can comment, that would be great. Anyways, I do think that, the, that, that Joe Burrow has an opportunity to absolutely explode in some weeks. Now, am I drafting him? Ugh, I don't know if I'm drafting him unless it's dynasty, obviously. But if if I if I see even a glimpse, if I see a glimpse of brilliance, I'm going after him. Typically, rookie quarterbacks do struggle to put up fantasy points, but we've seen fantasy relevant quarterbacks that are rookies before. We've seen Cam Newton, right? We've seen Baker Mayfield for part of the season. You know, we've seen RG three, obviously, and a lot of people are like, "Man, those are you know two or three are, are mobile quarterbacks." Well, Baker Mayfield's got some wheels on him. If you go back and watch his game film, he's actually very, very smart when it came to his scrambling opportunities, very similar to Gardner Minshew. So I'm expecting him to finish off the year with, I would say, right around 37 to 4,000 yards passing. Uh, I don't have my, my numbers right in front of me, but uh, if I remember correctly, 37 to 4,000 yards passing, uh, probably right around 25 touchdowns, and then add on 300 300, that's right, 300 rushing yards with, let's just say, four rushing touchdowns. I like that fantasy output. That would put him right there at the back end, I believe, of a quarterback one. So, on to my next guy. On to my next guy. Oh, and by the way, T. Higgins, love to buy him in Dynasty. Not going to touch him in redraft this year. A.J. Green, though, is going too late. Too late in redraft as it is. On to Tua Tagovailoa. Oh, yeah. God, we're moving right along. Tua Tagovailoa is, uh, man, I have him ranked above Joe Burrow if he could stay healthy. I, that's how much I love him. And the Dolphins, who obviously have not been good. They have not been good uh, when it comes to, I guess, their, their anything, really. Let's just leave it that. They haven't been good at anything. Dolphin. The Dolphins haven't been good at anything in years and years and years and years. Sorry, Dolphins fans, but you have to admit it's true. However. They are bringing in general manager, right? What is his name? Is it Chris Greer or is that the last one? Yeah, Chris Greer. So they're bringing in general manager uh, Chris Greer, right? And wait, no, that was the last one. I apologize. Apologize, all you fans out there. I know you guys probably hate me. 
Let me see. Let me see. Sorry for the wait, Alan. That's for the wait, right? Where are we at? Where are we at? There it is. Marvin Allen. Sorry for the wait, guys. It's great radio. I know it is. Anyways, when it comes to Marvin Allen, right? Oh, man. He is an awesome, awesome acquisition for this organization. They went with the Bills, right? Or he was with the Bills, right? When they blew up their roster in 2017. It was extremely, extremely controversial. Letting go of Stephon Gilmore. Letting go of Zach Brown. Uh, Robert Woods, Marquise Goodwin, they all walked in free agency and they've all had pretty good careers since. So I'm not saying that, that, you know, it was a, it was a great situation with the bills. It was great, but they needed a new culture. They needed a new direction. So Allen was there with the bills when that happened. He then walks in right to the Dolphins organization and does almost the same exact thing, right? Letting go of, of Minka Fitzpatrick, right? Moving on from different assets, which people were not happy about within the organization, but it had to be done. Kenyon Drake was another one. They needed the draft picks. They needed a new culture. And Marvin Allen is going to be the guy that is going to deliver that. I love it. I love the fact that he's teaming up with with Todd Bowles in in the Dolphins organization and completely rebuilding everything from the defense all the way to the, well, we'll say the defensive secondary all the way to the offensive line. I mean, they are adding skill positions at the wide receiver position. It's, it's absolutely beautiful what they're doing down there in Miami, and I love it. I love what Tua is going to be able to step into. I mean, they were adding offensive linemen in free agency. They added offensive linemen in the draft. Uh, they are building up what could be a dynamic, dynamic offense in, in 2020 or potentially 2021. Now, I love Ryan Fitzpatrick, and I do believe he's going to start up the season. If they already haven't announced it, it should be announced. He's going to start up the season as the lead quarterback for the Dolphins, and I think he's going to keep it for the majority of the year. However, if we get towards the tail end of the season and the Dolphins don't really have a chance of making it to the playoffs, you're going to see Tua step in. And if he can get a few reps, right, and then go into the offseason understanding what he has to improve on, we're talking about a blow-up, an absolute blow-up in 2021. So unfortunately, when it comes to 2020, I'm not drafting redraft. But 2021 in Dynasty Leagues, you guys need to get a hold of Tua before it's too late. Right. We're going to see he's going after where Kyler Murray is going in current drafts right now when it comes to ADP for Dynasty Leagues. When we look at Kyler Murray from 2019. Right. Look at where Kyler Murray is going now. (laughs) He's going what in the the fifth round, the sixth round, the seventh round, maybe even earlier than that. Oh, my God. Get to a get to a early. The cheapest time, the cheapest time to get a quarterback is in your draft. So go get him. All right, on to my next guy. Woo! Justin Herbert. Now, Justin Herbert is actually my favorite. He is my favorite when it comes to landing spots for a quarterback. His situation is beautiful. Beautiful, right? They added on Brian Beluga to the offensive line from the Green Bay Packers. Oh, love it. And you have Keenan Allen. Well, Mike Williams, who got hurt, but he'll come back. He'll be back, guys. Don't freak out. Right? You got the speedster with Guyton. God, I love it. Then you have my boy, Joe Reed. Joe Reed from UVA, man. God, I love that guy with the ball in his hands. Telling you. Austin Eckler's a great pass catcher, of course. And then you got the rookie, Joshua Kelly from UCLA. Now, this situation, right? Sitting behind Tyrod Taylor for a year is going to be absolutely perfect for you dynasty leaguers out there. 
Justin Herbert could be slept on, but he's going to get the starting role in 2021. They're not going to sit on him. There's a reason why they took him with the sixth overall pick. Now, does he start this year? Probably not. Probably not. Tyrod Taylor's too good. But Tyrod Taylor is a great, a phenomenal bridge quarterback. Absolutely beautiful. He's a great mentor. He's a great guy on the sidelines to have. And honestly, Justin Herbert, he might be struggling a little bit, you know, from time to time in training camp, should be an absolute stud in his situation, in his current situation, with obviously the uh, loss or lost. Wait, am I losing my mind? Los Angeles Chargers. So for Justin Herbert, if he went to the Bengals, I wouldn't be on him. I really wouldn't. But I love his situation with the Chargers. On to my next guy, Jordan Love. Whew. Jordan Love is set up even better long-term, long-term than Justin Herbert. My fear is that he doesn't get into the, into the starting role for about two or three years. But honestly, I believe that the Denver Broncos, if, if Drew Locke struggles, could actually make a play for Aaron Rodgers, which gives me a little bit of hope in a year or two from now. But Jordan Love who honestly, like he, he surprised me when I watched the film, man, he really did uh, his ability to, I guess, make plays right. And stand out and extend the play. I, I absolutely love it, man. I love it. And although, although I don't love his fantasy relevance, because I think, I think that LaFleur is going to bring in the same system that we saw with, with the Titans last year, where we don't, we're not going to see a lot of utilization from Jordan love. So I don't love his, his usage rates. But Jordan Love, yeah, sure, you can take him and stash him on your taxi squads for 2022 when it comes to the quarterback position. His efficiency should be through the roof. I love what they're doing over there in Green Bay. A.J. Dillon's going to be an absolute monster in that system. It's a wide zone run scheme system where you get as fast as you can to the outside tackle or to get to the outside of the tackle and just find a crease, cut up field. I love what the Green Bay Packers are doing as an organization. I know a lot of other people can't say that. I love it. And I, I love their draft. I really did. All right, on to our next topic. What do we got? What does a running back have to do? Oh, man, this is my Eno Benjamin love. Can anybody tell me why Eno Benjamin slept? Why did he, like, or fell, I should say. Why team slept on Eno Benjamin? How did he fall to the seventh round? That is crazy to me. Absolutely nuts. I don't understand it. I don't get it. I really don't. He, uh... He had workout metrics set. He had physical measurements. Like he was good. Like he, he beefed up for the combine for the weigh-ins. I love it. Uh, his college production was was great. His appearance in the game film was phenomenal. And his system fit. It's perfect for his system. You know the the Cardinals just want to they they want to get a guy in space, right? So I love that system fit. Uh, the projected role on point. Like it, it could be on point if Kenyon Drake struggles. I mean, sorry about that. It could be on point if Kenyon Drake struggles. And then of course he still can contribute on special teams. Now, when it comes to, when it comes to his future outlook, I don't know if I love him as much because the Cardinals have a little bit of money to spend. And I think that they could go after one of these top tier running backs in free agency. We talk about Alvin Kamara. I think it's an awesome, awesome landing spot for Alvin Kamara. Kamara. I say Kamara, not Kamara. It's an awesome landing spot for Alvin Kamara. It's an awesome landing spot for Aaron Jones. So if Kenyon Drake struggles, right, we get to see them bring in a big name free agent. But even so, he could end up splitting carries 
with with said free agent and still get a decent workload. However, when it comes to sleepers at the running back position, if you're a zero RB guy and you need a little bit of hope, you need a glimmer of hope in redraft leagues, Eno Benjamin should be an option at the back end, at the back end of your draft. Love me some Eno Benjamin. Go check out what does a running back have to do on, of course, Linktree, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash fantasy intervention. Oh, yeah, guys. All right. Oh, I got that twice. Do I? My bad. I do. All right. On to my next one. The unjustified fall of DeAndre Swift. And if you listen to my show, which if you're listening right now, you probably do listen to my show. You know, you know that I love me some DeAndre Swift. Absolutely. And we talked about with the offensive line earlier in the episode, how they've drafted uh, two offensive linemen twice in the past four years in the first four rounds, which is the, uh, which has only happened four times in franchise history. Uh, they're rebuilding that offensive line. There's a new culture. They want to run the ball. Carry on Johnson, who is constantly injured and who is wildly inefficient. Yeah. Inefficient this past year, even though he had a subpar offensive line, just does not do it for me. I'm telling you guys, DeAndre Swift is my favorite running back on film this year. Yeah, I said it. He was my favorite running back. And prior to the combine, I had him as my number one overall ranked uh, running back. Even after the combine, it was him and JT were like neck and neck. I I love me some DeAndre Swift. I am not high on CEH. I love CEH's floor, but his ceiling is limited. You guys hear me talk about it all the time. He cannot beat linebackers or defensive ends to the edge. He can't do it. He's slow. When it comes to breakaway runs, he gets caught from behind. Go watch his highlights. If you go watch his highlights, you'll see it. I mean, it's, it's an easy one for me when I'm taking DeAndre Swift over, over CEH. But outside of the actual lines itself, right, and DeAndre Swift's physical abilities, We're talking about Matt Stafford, who in the past has loved, loved, loved to throw to his running backs. He was literally like uh, like a poor man's version of uh, Philip Rivers, if if you would go there. Kind of. Kind of. Now, he was limited with options at the wide receiver position when he was when he was nailing it with these running backs. But I still think that DeAndre Swift has the upside when it comes to his rushing potential and his receiving potential. I mean, he's got, he's got the whole nine. I'm taking DeAndre Swift. I absolutely love him. I don't understand people that are fading him. I saw a trade the other day. Somebody sent me a trade where they were like, hey, would you take uh, DeAndre Swift in a second-round pick for Cam Akers? I was like, what? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, he is injured right now. So, redrafters... Uh, be a little cautious when it comes to drafting him. Don't overdraft uh, anytime uh, any player is injured going into the season. It makes me a little bit nervous, but I still, I still love me some DeAndre Swift. I'm taking him. I'm taking him. Ah, oh, that was the unjustified fall of DeAndre Swift on Dynasty Nerds. And I know you guys are loving the Jets in the background. Oh, yeah. All right. The gauntlet of the late round receiver part one. So. Here's the deal. Late round receivers don't hit a lot. It's not often. It's not often that they hit, but there are times that they do. Okay. It's a rare sight to see, but we got guys like Antonio Brown. We got guys like Stefan Diggs, Tyreek Hill. It happens. I mean, kind only eight of the 279 receivers drafted since 2010 produced a, a season in which he would have finished as a wide receiver three or better. That's less than 3%. So, yes, it is absolutely, absolutely brutal. However, with the depth of the rookies in the 2020 class, it is absolutely nuts. 
absolutely nuts. I'm spoiling it. I, I don't, I'm not saying that, that there's going to be a bunch of guys to fall out, but there are definitely some guys that you can nitpick at the tail end of your drafts that could have an opportunity, especially in a year uh, with, you know, COVID-19 taking over where injuries could be a major, major component uh, of, of, I get a major, major factor, I guess, when it comes to fantasy, more than we've seen in any year since 2011, possibly. Uh, I'm telling you guys, it is an absolute uh, possibility that one of these flyers could end up hitting and it could end up being a rookie. So there are players likely to see opportunity early. And my first one is Gandy Golden, which we talked about briefly in my article for, uh, for Dynasty Nerds. Although he went to a small school, his size makes him an appetizing rookie to chase in the later rounds of your draft. He does need to work on his, his craft. He needs to refine his craft. But guys like Preston Williams, right? Guys like Kenny Galladay, those big body receivers can actually produce because they're not told to do anything else than get downfield and go catch the ball. So they rely on their physical traits to actually out-muscle or, or you know, out-jump receivers. And Antonio Gandy-Golden has those traits. Uh, and on top of that, you have Ron Rivera coming into Washington, who if you guys can actually see on the screen, is extremely similar to Devin Funches, who, once again, also produced up until getting injured. It, you're talking about their 40-yard dash times with their speed scores being almost identical. You're talking about their burst score being almost identical. You're talking about their agility score being almost identical. And, of course, their catch rate is being close. But Antonio Gandy-Golden has a better catch rate than what the combine than what the combine said. Just go back and watch the tape. I'm telling you guys, he profiles extremely, extremely similar to those rookies who have produced uh, in the late or that have been drafted in the late rounds. I love, I love me some Gandy Golden as a late round flyer. My next one is my boy, my boy, Joe Reed, baby, Joe Reed. When we sit there and we look at Joe Reed and we look at his measurables and we look at his metrics, I mean, he is almost identical, identical to A.J. Brown. Now, his college production wasn't. But when we look at his height, right, A.J. Brown, six foot, weighs 226, Joe Reed, 6'1", 224. Hand size, nine and three quarters. Hand size, nine and three quarters. Age, 22.7. Age, 22.2. Right? 40-yard dash, 4.49. 40-yard dash, 4.47. Broad jump, 10 versus 10.3. Vert, 36.5 compared to 38. And then bench press, 19 compared to 21. So outside, outside of nothing, right? Outside of nothing except for college production. Or when it, Let's go with metrics. Outside of the metrics, like there is nothing. There's nothing that, that A.J. Brown beats Joe Reed in. Now, with it being UVA, Right. And with him not having the same high school profile and the same, uh, I guess, star recruit when it comes to getting him to a big school, Joe Reed just didn't have it. Like he didn't have it. So, of course, AJ Brown is going to outshine Joe Reed. But Joe Reed has the ability, he has everything that you need, like all, this, all the tools needed to succeed. And he has the opportunity to, to, to do it in the Chargers offense while linked to Justin Herbert for the next, what, 10 years? I'm telling you guys, Joe Reed could be an excellent, excellent option. The Chargers don't have a number three guy and and Mike Williams is injured, which could open up an early opportunity for Joe Reed to succeed. If you guys see him going off in the first couple of weeks, go grab Joe Reed. Go grab him. They don't have anybody else there. All right. My last guy, Donovan Peoples-Jones. That's right. I said it. 
I said it. Very similar to very similar to Joe Reed, maybe a little bit, you know, more competitive, but very similar to Joe Reed. It's not it's not a, a, a gimme for their third wide receiver. They're gonna have to battle it out. Absolutely battle it out in camp. And Donovan Peoples Jones has been getting somewhat rave reviews. Now he's gonna have to seize that number three job. And that number three job isn't going to guarantee production because the Stefanski with the Vikings uh, ran more 12 personnel, which is two tight ends, right? And only two receivers on the field than any other team in the league. Or he was at least top three, I believe. He might not be the top one, but he was top three. Either way, we're looking at Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham dealing with offseason injuries. And then they can actually save like, what is it? $28 million, $28 million. If they move on from both Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham in 2021. So you dynasty leaguers out there, hop on Donovan Peoples-Jones, who is an absolute freak. He was a freak at the combine. He has the second best vertical jump in combine history for wide receiver since 2006 in the NFL combine. 44.5 inch vertical jump. He could be a red zone monster, monster. When it comes to flyers, I could take a shot at him on redraft, but when it comes to the dynasty, he's not a flyer. He's got to be rostered. If you see him in dynasty, go grab, go grab down on people's Jones. All right. That was part one gauntlet of the late round receiver on dynasty happy hour. Go check it out. It's gauntlet of the late round receiver. Part two is up. Now, not everybody is like the saints, Michael Thomas, where you can just put them in your lineup every week and not worry about it. Right. With most guys, you have to play the matchups. You got to play the matchups. That's why I helped somebody win. What was it? Like $6,000 in DFS last year. You ended up sending me like 500 bucks from it. It was pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. But anyways, I called out Andy Isabella up against the 49ers because the 49ers from time to time struggled with speed receivers. So I said, if you wanted a crazy ass flyer, go with Andy Isabella. You can sometimes, some, not always, but you can sometimes see cracks and crevices with certain teams like the Chargers being brutal up against the, the running back position uh, in 2019, right? The Eagles being really bad up against the wide receivers in the earlier part of 2019, you know, Washington versus pretty much anybody like, you see cracks and crevices. Oh, another one, the Arizona Cardinals and the Seahawks with uh, against the tight end position. I mean, you can see certain weeks where you can play certain receivers. So these rookies that I'm about to go over are rookies that can carve out roles and open doors for their respective teams. So my first one is Isaiah Coulter, right? Another small school prospect, just like Antonio Gandy-Golden. Now, He's totaled 72 receptions and over 1,000 yards on his way to eight touchdowns in 2019 for the NCAA Force team, right? Where did he go to school? Rhode Island, was it? Uh, he was a small school receiver anyways. Anyway, we got a completely injury-riddled-esque team with the Texans, right? God, man, like you have, what, Will Fuller, who has all sorts of, of leg issues. You have Brandon Cooks, who has concussion issues. You have Kiki Kutsi, who might not even make the roster. Meanwhile. Meanwhile, we got Isaiah Coulter. Yeah, baby. He is showing out in camp. And I absolutely, absolutely love him to be an option if one of these guys go down. I mean, keep in mind, Randall Cobb couldn't even stay healthy back in 2019. And, and honestly, I think throughout his, the majority of his career, at least over the past few years. So Isaiah Coulter could actually see multiple different opportunities throughout the season where he's getting utilized. Plus, their, their schedule is phenomenal phenomenal for wide receivers if i remember correctly i'm telling you guys telling you guys right now right now 
that Isaiah Coulter should be rostered even in redraft leagues. If you own one of those Texans receivers, you're going to need a guy to step in if one of these guys gets hurt. And honestly, it's more likely to happen than not, especially with COVID and injuries being a major concern for the future. Next one, size does matter. All right. This one right here, this one right here is about Gabriel Davis and I believe Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah. So they got Gabriel, Gabriel Davis in the fourth round and Isaiah Hodgins in the sixth. Both dominated their college team's target share and each went over 12,000 yards and 12 touchdowns in 2019. Now, Josh Allen, who struggled in the red zone, he was, he was terrible when it came to passing the red zone. That's why he led the league in red zone rushing att- or rushing attempts and I think touchdowns as well. At least he led the league in rushing touchdowns as a whole. Anyways, he only completed 49.1% of his red zone attempts. Brutal. 46 in the NFL, if that's even possible. 46 in the NFL. So adding these two bigger receivers is a, a huge, huge asset to Josh Allen instead of trying to go to Cole Beasley, right? And trying to go to, to Stefan Diggs and trying to go to uh, John Brown, right? He now has these big physical guys to go after in the red zone. So if you're going to take a shot on one of the, or if you're going to take a shot on a late round rookie, these guys are definitely worth a look. I like Isaiah Hodgins more. I love his ability to catch the back shoulder fades. I love his ability to go up and get the the ball, but keep in mind, Gabriel Davis was taken ahead of Isaiah Hodgins. So he might have the first crack at the, I guess what wide receiver three in the red zone. I'm not sure how they're going to end up marching these guys out there, but one of these guys could be worth a look. So size does matter. So does speed, baby. And the Eagles, the Eagles have been looking for speed, man. Looking. They went after Marquise Goodwin, right? Then they drafted two wide receivers who blazed at the combine. And then on top of that, rumors have it that Jalen Rager's fast. I haven't seen it, but rumors have it that Jalen Rager's fast. So, they added speed. Unfortunately, with everything going on with Marquise Goodwin, he did opt out. Good for him. Good for his family. Uh, if you guys haven't seen the video of that, it is heartfelt and touching. Love me some Marquise Goodwin. Oh, man. That, that, that pulls a heartstring every time. Go check out those videos of Marquise Goodwin uh, opting out. It's, it's, it's sad, but it's beautiful. Anyways, you also have Sean Jackson there. I'm telling you guys, this kid, Quez Watkins, who ran a 4-3-5-40, right? He's scary, man. John Hightower ran a 4-4-3-40. He's scary, too. Both those guys are candidates to fill in as the deep threat if something happens to Sean Jackson. And Sean Jackson has, like, what, has he played, like, one year of 16 games? I think he literally has one year where he's played 16 games. So one of these two guys is going to get an opportunity at some point throughout the season. I think that they're going to use Jalen Rager as more of a slot guy instead of a deep threat because, honestly, I don't believe that Jalen Rager actually has the speed. I don't. I've seen his college film, guys. You don't need to yell at me. I've seen his college film. I've seen his deep targets. But it's more about his route running and the defenders that he faced up against when it comes to that now he was overthrown the quarterback situation was terrible but Jalen Rager drops balls so if Jalen Rager continues to drop balls he dropped a ball on what every like 10 balls on 98 targets I think anyways drop 10 balls I don't don't love Jalen Rager as a deep threat for this team. They're going to keep him close to the offensive line, or they're going to keep him close to the line of scrimmage, actually, and, and get him balls that way and watch him do work after the catch. So back to John Hightower and Quez Watkins, right? 
Hightower was used in the run game for the Broncos, so he could also be used situationally prior to Quez Watkins. So not only is the draft capital in favor of John Hightower, but so is the utilization. So we might see more big plays out of Hightower earlier in the season. So when it comes to one of these two guys, I want to lean Quez Watkins because of his blazing speed, but I think, I think I'm going with Hightower. I don't know. Either one are both good shots. I would take a look at him if you guys if you guys are in the back end of your Dynasty League drafts and even somewhat, somewhat in your redraft leagues. So let's see. Let's see. Let's see. There's all sorts of good information in this article. Uh, make sure you guys check out this article for real. It's Gauntlet of the Late Round Rookie Wide Receivers Part 2. Uh, it's, it's stacked with, with information to help you guys out. Uh, It talks about how Wentz uh, was actually accurate on 51.92% of his deep targets, which was ninth in the NFL, Uh, although he only completed 31.37, but that was mainly because of his wide receiver situation. So yeah, just go check out this article. It's on Dynasty Happy Hour. On to my next guy that I wanted to talk about was Darnell Mooney. And Darnell Mooney is really getting to me. I'm really loving some Darnell Mooney. I really am. There's two guys that are really rising up boards for me as we get close to the season. One is Darnell Mooney, and one is Colin Johnson, who we're actually going to talk about in the next article. But Darnell Mooney, uh, the Bears were 31st in explosive play rate last year, right? They were only ahead of the Panthers. Uh, Surprisingly, this wasn't because Mitchell Trubisky, as he was 17th in deep target completion percentage. He was 11th in deep ball attempts per game. So what we're looking at, it's not really the fault of Mitch Trubisky not completing deep balls because, I mean, he was actually decent with the deep balls. Now, I don't think he's overly accurate or anything, but still, I I don't want to throw all the blame on Mitch Trubisky. I'm actually looking more at Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson, who they make they failed to make plays after the catch. I mean, they ranked 100th and 148th out of 145 or 155. Uh, qualified receivers in yards after the catch per reception. Once again, let me repeat that for you guys, just in case you get a little lost. Anthony Miller and Allen Robinson ranked 100th and 148th out of 155 in yards after the catch per reception, right? You might want to sit there and, and attribute that to them getting deep passes. But the reality is, is they were the only team who didn't have a pass catcher Top 13 yards per reception. That's crazy. I told you guys, this this article has all sorts of good information in it. The Bears were the only team who didn't have a pass catcher to top 13 yards per reception. Tulane's big play receiver, right? Darnell Mooney could be the answer to the Bears' woes. Does he average 16.7 points per game throughout his college career on his way to 200, or that should have said yards per game, 16.7 yards per game throughout his college career on his way to 2,572 yards and 19 touchdowns. Boom! Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. The more impressive stat was I went back and I actually dug into each game. Yeah. Went and looked at each and every one of his games. Pain in the ass. But 16 of his 19 touchdowns were from 20 yards out or further. Nine of his 19 touchdowns were from over 40 yards out. He is the definition of a big play receiver, which the Bears don't have. The Bears don't have. Taylor Gabriel's no longer there, right? Riley Ridley's not a deep threat, right? God, I love it. Love it. Love it. Absolutely love it. I'm telling you guys, absolutely 100% by Darnell Mooney. While you can, he's going to have certain weeks where you can play him. I love me. Love me the upside of Darnell Mooney. All right. Whew. 
on to my next article. Ooh, did I get part three out on this? Okay, I did. I'm going to go to part three, and then I'll go back to the other ones. Wow, I got a lot of articles. Got a lot of articles, guys. If you're not following me on Twitter, FF underscore intervention. If you're not joined in our Facebook group, uh, Dynasty. <laughs> I got so many different Dynasty leagues going on. Uh, fantasy football discussion. You guys need to be a part of that. A lot of these articles get shared. A lot of these articles end up getting put out when something happens. So, of course, stay up to date with my articles and go join Fantasy Football Discussion on Facebook and go follow me on Twitter, FF underscore intervention. And of course, go onto my link tree, L-I-N-K dot T-R. Wait, L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash fantasy intervention to find these articles that I'm going over. Right? They're all there. All right. The gauntlet of the late round receiver part three. Whew. When we draft, right? We typically look for immediate production. That's why the Chiefs running back Clyde Edwards Slayer shot up so far, so far up experts draft rankings after Damian Williams, right? Like we want that immediate production. We want things to happen. When it comes to Dynasty, Clyde Edwards Slayer never, like his rank shouldn't that much, like shouldn't have been affected that much for Dynasty because obviously Clyde Edwards Slayer is thought to be the, the starter in there, whether it's 2021, 2022, whatever the case is, and he's still going to get working behind Damian Williams, or he was. Now that he's there, everybody's like, oh, he's top five. Why? Because why? Why? Why did he shoot up so far? Because he has, what, maybe, I don't know, 20% more touches in one year of his career, maybe two years of his career? I don't get it. I don't get it. But either way, you guys do you. I still got Swift above him. But we're going to go with a guy who could bring you, right? Immediate production, or I'm sorry, not immediate production, but production coming in 2021. So I'm not a huge fan of this guy, but he's reports coming out of camp or, eh, yeah, I just don't like it. I'm not a fan of this guy. It's Tyler Johnson, right? He was a snub for the senior bowl. He, what, didn't test at the combine, I believe, for whatever reason, but he's 6'2", 206 pounds, and he was dominant. He was dominant at the college level. He really was. He saw a 36.1% target share while racking up 25 touchdowns and almost 2,500 yards in his last two seasons. That's nuts. And I loved him, loved him in college, right, where he took advantage of inferior, inferior competition. But... This isn't going to be the same. This is the NFL, baby. This is the big leagues. And he doesn't have those physical gifts that a lot of these other receivers have. However, however, we're talking about 2021, right? So 2021 comes along, right? They sneak in. They sneak him into the slot. Maybe they move on from Mike Evans, possibly. Who knows? I can't really talk too much about this guy because I'm not a huge fan. But it's possible that he carves out a role for him in 2021. Uh, I'm telling you guys. Telling you guys, he, he could be an option. I need, we need to see him make a, a jump physically, though. We need to make him see a jump physically. He, he could be worth investing, but I'm not drafting him in the, in the top three rounds. However, if he's sitting on the free agent wire, yeah, grab him up. Yeah, so I don't agree with that take. There's a take I don't agree with that I wrote about in the offseason. Boom. Boom. Found one. All right. My next one. Quintess Cephas. Love him. Geronimo Allison who they can cut and save a ton of money is scheduled to be the only other receiver on the lions roster in 2021, right? They're probably going to, they're, they're working on contracts with of course, Kenny Galladay. And I think that he does end up, but they can move on from Marvin Jones, Jr. Insert Quintess Cephas. Yes. I love it. I love Quintess Cephas, man. Uh, he, he's not the other guy that I'm rising on. He's always been high on my list, but Quintess Cephas, right? And his senior season stat line, it, it might leave you a little bit unimpressed. 
However, when you realized that he played for Wisconsin, who ran the ball 62% of the time, that was 13th, 13th in the NCAA. And you see his 23.6% target share. It, it starts to make a little bit more sense. He was dominating the targets for when they did pass, but they just never passed because they had Jonathan Taylor. Why would you pass when you have Jonathan Taylor? I'm telling you guys, this guy is going to dominate, dominate for the Lions. And it could happen this year with Marvin Jones Jr. injury history. So he could be a guy worth checking out. Now, like I told you guys, I had one guy, one guy that I absolutely love that is rising up my boards, and that's the six foot six, 222 pounds. Jolly Green Jaguar, Colin Johnson himself. God, I love him. I love him. Love him. Unfortunately, he might have to wait till 2021, but he's impressing at camp. Have you guys seen those highlights? It's nuts. It is absolutely insane. Go check out his highlights. It is worth the time. He's a monster out there. I've been posting them on my Twitter, so you can go check them out on my Twitter, FF underscore intervention. But when fellow receivers D.D. Westbrook, Chris Conley, and Keelan Cole are all off the roster in 2021, we are talking about a potential breakout. Potential breakout for this long, uh, Longhorn stud. Yeah, I got it out. Longhorn stud. Telling you guys, if, if he can get out there, right, and become a not only a red zone target, but also a deeper, not like a deep threat, like a speed guy, but a target that could see, I don't know, 15 yards per reception, 17 yards per reception, who can beat these smaller corners and these smaller safeties. I love it. I love it. And now he's tied. He's either tied to Gardner Minshew, who if he succeeds, he's, the, the Jaguars succeed because of him. If the Jaguars succeed, they succeed because of him. I'm telling you guys. Garner Minshew could be an absolute monster this year. Now, if he doesn't succeed, then guess what? The Jaguars are probably going to do terrible. And now you have Colin Johnson and LaVisca Chenault tied to Trevor Lawrence or Chase Fields. I prefer Trevor Lawrence, but still, either guy. Look what Trevor Lawrence did with T. Higgins last year. He loves his big target guys. He loves those, those receivers that can go up and get the ball. I love me, love me, love me, love me, love me some Colin Johnson even as soon as this year, if he can do something, keep an eye on him, keep an eye on the reports and keep an eye on the snap counts, because if he can get in there over Chris Conley, it's, it's, it's a lock. It's a lock. It's a lock. He's going to produce on, on weeks up against the Texans. He's going to produce in weeks up against the Colts, right? Love me some Colin Johnson. All right. And I believe, do they play the NFCs too? No, no, they don't. No, they don't. All right. Let's see. Let's see. I might need to speed this up because I didn't realize how many articles I did. I might just do another episode. What, what am I sitting at? How long am I? How long have I been recording for? Oh, great. I haven't been recording. <laughs> oh, that's brutal. I'm gonna have to go back and. Oh, well, yeah, I'm at an hour, guys. I'm at an hour. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to cover one more article. I'm going to go over one more article that I wrote, and I'm going to save the rest of these articles for another live stream. So I'm going to go with, let me spell it out for you. This was a fun article that I did, a non-analytical article. It's the first one that I didn't bring analytics into it. I just wanted to have some fun. Oh, wait, was this the one? No, the other one was, was it? I don't remember. Anyways, I've got a quarterback here for you guys. As y'all can see, I blacked it out. And this quarterback was eighth in yards, third in completion percentage, 10th in average yards per attempt, or, or I'm sorry, it was actually should say adjusted air yard, or adjusted yards per attempt, not average, adjusted. 
And then second in uh, true completion percentage, right? He was being in the bottom 10 in both sacks and interceptions. There's a rule in grammar where if a value is greater than 10, right? You write it in Roman numerals. If the number's 10 or less, then you spell it out. Did I say Roman numerals? You write it in as numerals. <laughs> if, it's, if it's less than 10, you spell it out. People don't realize most of the Raiders quarterback Derek Carr's stats have to be spelled out. You have to spell them out because he's in the top category of, of the quarterbacks. And I absolutely love it. One of his stats that you don't have to spell out was attempts. He was 14th, which is brutal. Bad to be in the middle of the pack, but it's still, I, I said brutal. It's not brutal, but it's not good. Either way, his efficiency is key. His efficiency is through the roof. I love, I love, I love me some Derek Carr this year. He was two points per game out of finishing as I believe the eighth overall quarterback. Two, just two points per game less. You don't think that Brian Edwards, that Lynn Bowden, that Jason Witten, that Henry Ruggs can add two points per game to Derek Carr's stats? You don't think that can happen? Are you kidding me? This offense is going to be insanely, insanely more efficient as a whole. You talk about Darren Waller, right? Who, who was he? he had like, what, 128 or 180 something yards? I don't, it was less than 200 yards in each of his uh, career seasons prior to this year. Derek Carr made him relevant. Derek Carr did. Yeah. Then you talk about Tyrell Williams, who was what, one season over like 900 yards? Dude, this offense is infinitely better. Why is everybody sleeping on Derek Carr? I don't care about Marcus Mariota. I don't. I don't. It's not a thing. Marcus Mariota is not. Let me repeat. Marcus Mariota is not a thing. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. I'm telling you guys, Derek Carr, right, behind a very, very good offensive line, who doesn't take sacks, who doesn't throw interceptions, right? How is he going to lose the job? Sure, he might throw it away on a fourth down play one more time. But seriously, how is he going to lose the job while he's this efficient with such a bad supporting cast? Henry Ruggs stock is through the roof for me. Brian Edwards stock is through the roof for me. Hunter Renfro's stock, unfortunately, is down. And Darren Waller, I think, is slightly too high. Either way, he's got weapons all around him. Go buy Derek Carr before it, it's too late. Just go buy Derek Carr. I'm drafting and redraft. I'm drafting him in Dynasty. Look at this dunk. Look at this junk for all these... For all these people, for all these people that are actually watching the live stream. See, this is what you get when you watch the live streams. You get to see cool dunks from Henry Ruggs. He's a beast. He's an absolute beast. I love me some Henry Ruggs. Oh, man. Is that going to end it for me? Listen, if you guys want to check out any of my articles or check out my podcast, you guys can go check them out on linktr.ee slash fantasy intervention. Once again, that's linktr.ee slash fantasy intervention right you guys can go check out my patreon well i will be doing all of my dfs content and guess what i got a little surprise for you guys for dfs oh man somebody might have picked up this free agent somebody might have picked me up i'll announce it later anyways guys i appreciate you guys for listening and viewing thank you guys for joining and thank you for letting me intervene with your fantasy football life That's how you bang a podcast.